If I'm not here to tell you, what if you were diagnosed with terminal cancer while raising a newborn baby? What if you thought your kid might have to grow up without you? What if you had to grow up without your mom? This is a series for my kid to make sure she is mothered by who I am, my experiences, and the lessons I've learned through my life and my work, whether I'm here with her in the flesh or not. Part biographical, part educational, this is a series on birth and life and death and finding freedom in diving headfirst into the ocean, rain or storm. In this episode, we talk about lessons from birth that can help us get through other life experiences powerfully. I want to share a few caveats that, first, I believe birth is an incredible, powerful, absolutely amazing process that brings us into the wild mammal version of ourselves that I love so much, where we discover how incredible and powerful we and our bodies are. Also, you all get to have your babies however you want to have your babies. This episode talks about how sometimes we push people down certain paths in birth and life because of our cultural discomfort in being present with people during moments of doubt or challenge, and discusses births, where there are moments of frustration or struggle, and how we can be with people and ourselves in these moments if they do come up in birth or in life. But it's not meant to make it sound like birth is something to fear, or that you're not in charge of your own birth, because I believe so much the opposite of both. This episode uses lessons I've learned from being with clients through moments of challenge in birth to guide us through moments of challenge in life. Enjoy. Lessons I've learned about life through birth. You are always stronger than you think you are, and often more so than others think. Surround yourselves with people who believe the former. You can do hard things. One at a time, one contraction, one moment, one day. Just do this one. It's never this moment that you can't handle. It's the moment or sensation or contraction you imagine is coming next, coming somewhere down the line. The idea that what you're feeling right now will never end or change, but it will, and you can always do this one. It's okay to be tired. Being tired is normal. It's okay to surrender to that tiredness and rest in between. Between waves, contractions, tasks, obligations, thoughts, struggles, experiences, emotions. Rest in between. And don't just curl up frozen in a ball out of fear. Listen to when you're truly tired, and also pull yourself to move, to shift, to sway with your body how it's telling you to. Resting when you need to is different than ignoring your body and your mind out of fear. You give birth with your body, not with your mind. Imagine if we followed our bodies more in life. Our bodies talk to us. We need to learn to listen. Birth and life are about the breaks, the time in between. There is usually a good amount of in-between if we just let ourselves notice it, sink into it, and rest there. Don't drag the last sensation, challenge, experience, or emotion forward with you into each future moment. Let it be there, accept it, ride with it, and when it leaves, let it go. Let the break be the break so when the next intense thing comes, your starting point is one of as much softness as possible. You can do anything for 60 seconds. If you have to get through life one minute at a time, so be it. You can. You can. Sometimes barely getting by is still getting by. Be curious instead of resistant. 
delve into instead of bracing against. How do you feel? Where in your body do you feel it? Whether it's an emotion or a physical sensation, notice it, observe it, allow it. It's in the allowing that we are able to soften, to let go, to find the little bits of ease available to us. That thing that's intense, soften there. The relief is on the other side of allowing that intensity. Find your breath. You might find you want to stop your inhale at a certain depth. Breathe just a little deeper than that point. Feel the sensation of the air moving into your body, of your belly expanding. Exhale slowly, melting away with your breath. Where it feels most intense, physically or emotionally, that's where to send your breath and expand. Make that sensation bigger with your breath. And as you breathe out, soften, melt, be. Don't go looking too hard for all the things that might be stacked against you. Focus first on everything you have on your side. If you look hard enough for a problem, for a reason you can't, you will find one somewhere, or many. What if you looked that hard for proof that you could, that what you want is possible? What would the wild mammal human do? How can you nurture and support that version of you? A bath, some protein, and hydrating fix almost everything. If you are a shower person, that works too. Things don't have to be easy to be possible. You are allowed to not love every moment. You are allowed to show you are struggling. You are allowed to cry, to complain, to protest. It doesn't mean you can't. Making things look easy isn't the only way to do them, isn't the only way to make things worth doing, isn't the only way to make you powerful. People don't need to be rescued. You don't need to be rescued. You don't need to rescue anyone. We need to be heard, we need to be seen, we need to be believed in. Birth and life and death are inseparable companions. In releasing fear of one, we get one step closer to releasing fear of all. And it's okay to be afraid. Fear is just as normal as any other emotion. It's not always about getting rid of fear. Sometimes it's just about taking its hand and walking forward right along with it. The two of you, you and your fear, will find other friends along the way. I promise. You don't have to give birth or live without fear to do it. But you do need to be brave. You can be scared and brave at the same time. You can. Wow, thanks for getting us started off with that today, Jess. I think it's such a beautiful way to open um, our conversation for today. Um, I'm wondering if you wanna talk a little bit about um, where the inspiration came for writing that piece. Well, you know, I actually <laughs> forgot I wrote it. I just found it recently saved as a note in my iPhone. And I, I think, I think I wrote it when I first started planning what I would want for my death. And I think I was writing my own speech to give it my own funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that at the time of writing it or when you went back and looked at it, you were like, oh, <laughs> well, I, I, mean, I don't fully remember, but I actually think I was intentionally doing that. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when you wrote it? 
uh it was like a, it was a few months ago so probably like sometime after I got diagnosed with the cancer spreading to my bones but before like the most recent spread sometime in between there okay so we had chatted about it and I think our plan for today is to delve a little bit deeper into some of these lessons um for folks that um are, have been your clients previously or for folks that have trained with you previously, a lot of these lessons probably sound familiar um, because they're things that you say often. <laughs> um, but I thought it would be um, really powerful to delve into a couple of these um, and kind of get a little bit of a background or story on how you learned them or where you learned them um, or who, who shared them with you originally. Okay. All right. Um, so I think the one that we'll start with um, that I actually, I now teach to my clients because you taught it so well to me is it's never this moment that you can't handle. It's the, it's the moment that you imagine coming, you know, 10 sensations down the line that you think you won't be able to manage. So maybe we can start there and you can let us know where, where that came from. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a Gloria LeMay lesson. Um, okay. <laughs> that's a Gloria LeMay lesson where I like she talks about it in the context of yeah of birth and the reason people stop being able to cope or change their plan from having an unmedicated birth to a medicated birth thinking they need an epidural or pain management is is that that it's it's not really that the sensation that they just had was so unmanageable. It's this, it's this like human tendency to be constantly living in the future of being like, I'm this tired right now. How much more tired am I going to be later? That hurts this much now, or it's this strong now, how much stronger is it going to get? Um, I've been doing this for this long. How much longer can I do it? And it's the, it's like the negative mental self-talk that makes us stop coping um, as opposed to the actual reality of how intense the sensation that that is happening right this second is what is right in front of us and do you find that you pull on this lesson i mean it sounds like you pull on this lesson outside of birth as well yeah i mean because it's i mean birth really is just such a, a metaphor for life everything about it right and it's the same thing like if you're going through a hard time or to any degree and you're under stress or you feel like your whole world is falling apart and you feel like you're in the at the bottom of a pit somewhere and there's no visual way to see your way out of ever feeling better or the difficulty ever passing or the emotion ever getting easier um you know again i think a lot of the time it's like the it's the it's kind of this concept of like I'm never going to feel different than this or I can only see that it's going to feel worse and worse and worse and harder and harder and harder and if we can just like little bit of that little bit of that go and be in the moment we don't we don't make the thing harder than it needs to be absolutely Thank you, Gloria, for that one. <laughs> <laughs> it is spreading far and wide. <laughs> I think if we asked her, she always tells me she never had an original idea in her life. And so when I credit her, <laughs> she's always like, well, 
you know, I probably learned that from someone else too. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It's always so good to credit where we learn things. So Mm -hmm. awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the second one I wanted to come to, um, is you can do anything for 60 seconds. And I, I remember, um, I remember you sharing this with clients. I also remember, um, when you used to teach prenatal classes in person, um, that they were taught in this kind of, um, chiropractic clinic that was at the bottom of a very, very tall hill. And I would come to your class to assist and I would usually bike there. And on the way home, I'd have to bike up this hill and I would hear your voice in my head as I was biking up the hill and just like cursing every minute of having to (laughs) bike up this hill and going, come on, Talia, Jessica says you can do anything for 60 seconds and that includes biking up this hill. So, (laughs) So where did, where did this one come from? Well, I feel like I made that one up, but who knows? I might have picked it up from someone else along the line. So if somebody knows that that's their line and I'm not crediting you crediting you for it, I apologize. So I think that one is kind of a spin-off of the previous one, but a little specific because when people are planning for birth, I think they often, you know, because we grew up in a culture where we don't grow up having like a community understanding of birth where um, we all kind of know what's happening and grow up attending our mom's birth and our sister's births and our cousin's births. It's, we are often the only exposure we get. It's from what we see on TV and TV makes the birth process look like someone's membranes release or their waters break. And then the person has like one long 20 minute, contraction that is really hard and really painful where she's screaming and hating her partner and it's a mad rush to get to the hospital and then you get to the hospital and somebody pulls out a three-month-old baby with no umbilical cord and that's like the scene but it's like it looks like it's one long never-ending excruciating contraction and that's not what birth is you know when the sensations in birth come the longest the sensations ever get really is somewhere around a minute, give or take a few seconds on either side. Um, sometimes in really early birthings, people might get longer ones, but they're more mild. Sometimes people who are having really fast births might not get huge breaks in between where that's kind of at the bottom of the sensation before the next one comes. But the kind of normal thing to expect is that the sensations never last, last longer than around a minute. And so when I'm preparing people for birth, I want them to really, you know, like just to get away some from some of the fear of what they think they're preparing for of, you know, it's not, there's so many more breaks in birth when they're long, when the birth is long than sensations like this, you can, and you can do anything for 60 seconds. Um, so that's where kind of that idea comes from is trying to prepare people to make a distinction between our kind of urban legend of how hard something is going to be with the reality of what it actually is. Um, And in birth, it specifically involves like each sensation is only 60, is only 60 seconds. We don't need to brace ourselves up for like 24 hours of a nonstop pain. (laughs) We need to, we need to prepare for this idea of like, we're going to get waves of intense sensations that are only around 60 seconds. And then we're going to get breaks to regroup. 
Um, and then we can apply that to life in so many ways, because if we think about our lives in terms of each moment or just doing things 60 seconds at a time, it becomes much less daunting or much less overwhelming. Like biking up a hill. <laughs> like biking up a hill. <laughs> totally like biking up a hill or lifting weights or holding a squat or like, you know, wait, waiting in a grocery store line, you know, <laughs> like, it's like, let's just, we live our lives 60 seconds at a time instead of this made up concept of how, how longer each kind of intense or challenging thing is going to be. It's, it's a lot easier to wrap our heads around and we don't go into this kind of imagined difficulty. Well, and I imagine that that ties into, um, one of the other things that you say often, and it actually might have been in these lessons, but, you know, I just do this one, right? I hear, mm -hmm. I hear your voice saying that all the time, just do this one. And it kind of comes back to that. Um, let's not kind of linger too much on the last sensation or the last stressor or the last anxiety that you had. And let's not imagine too far into the future. Just do, just do the one that's right in front of you. Yeah. You know, that actually reminds me of a birth I attended with Gloria once and it was a person having her second baby. And, um, you know, we often prepare people to have really, really long first births because your body's never opened before and it takes some time for your cervix to dilate and your pelvis to open and first births tend to be long. And then future births tend to be more quick, like everything just expands more easily. Um, things happen a little more quickly. Um, but this person's birth, you know, her first birth had been a while ago and every birth is different and it's, we got to just do the birth that we're having and not the birth we think we're supposed mm -hmm. to have. And she'd had like a night and a day of early birthing where like, you know, she felt like the baby was supposed to just like come any second, but it was taking some time. And on the, the second night, she was getting really frustrated and just, um, you know, just getting really tired of doing sensation after sensation and feeling like nothing was working. And Gloria said to her, you have to start your birth over now. And I, th I think the woman had said something like, this has been going on for so long. Like this is the second night and I'm just so tired. And Gloria just kind of gave her this very grandmotherly talk of, you know, whatever happened yesterday is in the past. You need to start your birth over. Start your birth over now. You know, don't mm -hmm. drag this whole last, you know, night and day of stop and start birth where you're just waiting for the next phase to come. Like, start over now. Like, just do this. Just do it now. And it really rejuvenated her because what had been happening, again, was it's not like it was what was happening she couldn't handle. It was her dwelling on, like, how long it's been and how long it's been going on for and how fast she had wished it was going to be so in instead of just doing the sensation she was having she was doing like a whole day's worth in every moment because she was yeah. kind of focusing on the, the memory of the past absolutely and even just that um those words from gloria and words that i've heard you share with clients it's like you you have this ability to tune into people in the moment understand what might be going on for them mentally and share something in that moment that actually speaks to them as opposed to kind of having these very rote 
words or messages or things that we say in birth that we just say over and over again, because kind of the same thing. It helped in that last birth that I was at. It helped with that last yes. person. And so I'm just going to say it again and it'll, it'll help this person too. But, you know, I, it sounds like, um, you know, that learning might've come from Gloria too, but you've been able to be present with clients, tune into what is going on for them in that moment and pull something that will resonate instead of just having these, um, I mean, it's always great to have back pocket lines as a birth worker, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but not applying them just like unconsciously exactly. and same with when you're having, you know, if you're like supporting a friend through a challenging time or it's, you know, we can have kind of some go to lines in our head that are often helpful, but we can't just spew them out without seeing like, where is this person really at and what is their experience right now? And what is going to kind of make them see feel the most validated and seen and understood and kind of held as they move forward as opposed to just repeating some kind of like line that's supposed to work (laughs) you know totally um speaking of friends with good things to say I think that this came from from one of your friends sometimes barely getting by is still getting by yeah yeah there's a few good that's a an Andrea Mattenly line and she's a colleague of mine a midwife I used to work with a lot who became a very good friend and later became my midwife who supported me um, through my pregnancy Um, and that is a few actually there's a few lines of there's a few lines of hers in that in that writing I did Um, and that's one of them sometimes barely getting by is still getting by you can is also hers and uh, sometimes this is just what doing good looks like or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and where I remember the birth that comes to mind that stands out that I think of when I think of that line is a birth of somebody having their first baby. And again, first births can take time. And it had been, again, like a night or two of stop and start birth where things kind of start to happen and then space out and then start to happen and then space out, which is often the way with first births. And I'd been with her and she wanted the midwife to come and check in and be another kind of voice of like, this is normal and everything's okay and can just keep going. And Andrea came and the woman was laying on this, her side on the couch and she was feeling really discouraged and Sometimes I think everybody, especially when people are having their first births, people, every, everyone kind of thinks that they suck at birth. Like it's supposed <laughs> to look like kind of like making it look easy is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was laying on the couch and she was feeling frustrated and she was feeling tired. And, and Andrea sat down beside her and said, you know, like sometimes barely getting by is, is still getting by. <laughs> And it really just, like, I could see the person just feel like, okay, you know, like, I don't have to be, like, this isn't something to be successful at or to be looking a certain way at. Like, all I need to do is get by. And that's the, that's the goal. Like, I don't need to be, it's not supposed to look a certain way or feel a certain way or um, be easy. I, I just need to do it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's such an important lesson in terms of birth around not having to be good or not having to, um, what's the word? 
you don't have to know how to do it. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to be like a super skilled birthing person. <laughs> There's yeah. all different kinds of ways <clears throat> to birth and all that people meet that. And um, I think that kind of leads in nicely to one of the lessons that you had shared around. You're not allowed or you are allowed to not love every moment. You are allowed to show that you are struggling. You are allowed to cry and complain and to protest. And this doesn't mean that you can't. Yeah. And I think, you know, that also it all kind of also ties into this kind of cultural need we have to be rescuing people all the time or to like taking away that thing like the only way for things to be good or powerful or beautiful or special is to make it look easy Mm -hmm. and you know the if every time somebody says they can't do something or that they think it's too hard or they start to cry or they're mad at themselves or they're frustrated we just tell them to quit like nobody would accomplish very much in life <laughs> you know yeah. um and you know like I think like the second birth the second someone says like oh I can't do it or this is really hard or this is way harder than I expected or I can't do this for too much longer we like drag them off and give them an epidural you know I mean and that's what most people do do and that's why our epidural rates are 90 percent it's because we are so uncomfortable sitting with people while they tell themselves that they can't And just standing beside them until they do. Yeah. And when they get to the other side of that, it's like, you know, it's like sometimes life is hard and sometimes birth is hard. And sometimes you just need to say out loud, like, this is really hard and I'm having a really hard time. And that's not actually, it doesn't actually equate to, I don't want to do it or I can't do it or I want to do it a different way. It just means like, I just need to tell you I'm struggling right now. Yeah. Absolutely. And how, how tied that is to um, kind of like you said, that it's actually not about the other person or what they are or are not capable of, but our own discomfort, our own discomfort with watching people do hard things and mm-hmm. our own need to feel like we are useful. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> That we have something to offer. You know, I was, I was, um, I was talking to someone recently about, about a birth and them, they had shared a lesson around like, you know, even as a birth worker, sometimes I feel like I'm offering sips of water constantly, not because the person is thirsty, but because I need to feel useful. I I feel like I need to be doing something. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And even those small things are things, you know, it's not, it might not be the same thing as offering a larger intervention, but to notice the times when we're doing something out of our own need to feel helpful or useful as opposed to what we're actually seeing in front of us. And, you know, I think the other thing is like what we overlook in that when we're so focused on our own need to feel useful or inspiring or wise or helpful is like we actually rob people of a really important self-discovery moment of how powerful and capable they are. Yeah. And I, I think about it sometimes when we like even when you think about parenting, it's like, you know, if every time my kid is trying to do something, I take her hands and do it for her. Or 
like make her walk before she's ready or help her climb something before she's capable of it herself or she's trying to put her shirt on and she doesn't know how and I just do it for her like if every single time the second she starts to struggle I jump in and do it for her I rob her of her development and I actually Mm -hmm. slow her development down because I'm jumping in and doing it for her when when she's perfectly capable of following her body and kind of developing at her own pace with me as like a a safety net beside her as opposed to someone who's constantly doing every single thing for her and pushing her forward faster yeah it's such a good metaphor (laughs) (laughs) it really it really is yeah just like in the story I was telling about doing a whole day's worth of sensations in every moment um like we do that in life all the time um like we're like we're going through a challenge or a hard time or a loss or grieving something we start instead of just feeling whatever feelings are coming up in the moment and letting ourselves feel them and process them and just let them move through us we start kind of looking for all the things that have been stacked against us in like the, all of history of time. <laughs> and, you know, like that, I, in that story when I was like, um, uh, like you can't, you have to just do the birth that you're having, not the one that you think you're supposed to have. It's like, we kind of got to just do the life that we're having too. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Oh, hi, Kay. Yeah, that's Kay. He's trying to fall asleep. Yeah, Kay's trying to fall asleep. It's like, you know, I think about that when I think about, um, like, times in my diagnosis while I was pregnant and early postpartum. I remember, like, taking my middle-of-the-night grieving baths and crying and kind of letting myself experience the grief which is important Mm -hmm. and then I'd also notice sometimes I'd spiral into this like storytelling of like like who am I to think I was like deserving enough to have a baby that I get to love and parent and take care of and like all these things from like like start thinking about um (laughs) like these imagined signs from my past like Oh, maybe that meant, like, I shouldn't have been even pursuing a relationship or a family. Like, who was I to think of all these things? And then when you start going down that hole, you can start really, like, really digging yourself into a hole. Because instead of just being like, yeah, this is what I'm experiencing is really challenging and really hard. And I got to let myself feel it. And I don't need to go looking for all the proof of why, like you know, I deserved it or it was my fault or whatever, you know? Yeah. It reminds me of this quote that, uh, an old therapist had said to me once, which is that I think it was, what if is a rabbit hole? Like the question of what if is a rabbit hole. And when we ask ourselves, you know, what if this, or what if that, and we start projecting hours, minutes, days, months into the future, um, it invites more questions yeah. instead of kind of doing what you, what you had mentioned, which is make a statement, you know, this is, this is really hard. 
this yeah. is really challenging. And, and, and so instead of it kind of spiraling into kind of more anxiety, it just grounds you in what's happening. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't mean you're not allowed to think something's hard, but it's just like, let the hard thing be there and let it move through and don't add like pile more weight onto yourself than, than you really need to. Yeah. You know, that kind of leads into, um, one of the other kind of lessons that you shared and something that I know you say often, which is you can do hard things. You can do hard things. Where did that one come from? That one, the first time I said that to somebody, I was at a birth. It's actually a very special memory for me because it was a birth of a client who gave birth at around the same gestational age at home as I did. So around 35 weeks, Kedra came at 35 and four and um, this client burst in that kind of range as well. And she'd been kind of in the birth process all day and at one point I was sitting with her in her bathroom and she was on the toilet which is a very common place to be when you're in the birth process and she looked up at me and she said Jess this is just like this is really hard and I looked at her and I said like kind of we like locked eyes and I was like yep and you can do hard things (laughs) (laughs) and and she just kind of like nodded her head and kept going and had this like amazing birth um that was just really beautiful and special as all births are Mm -hmm. um and it kind of became a mantra I would say to myself and say to clients and really I think I think that's like a piece that we need to remember. Like, you know, we've talked about this in other parts of this episode, even of like things and other episodes, like things don't have to be easy to be amazing or worthwhile. And we're strong and capable and we can do hard things. When I was um, postpartum, so I gave birth and I breastfed my baby and I knew I found out, I knew that my cancer had Uh, my pathology from my surgery was really poor and that I was like needing to choose, make a choice about quitting breastfeeding to go back on chemotherapy to try to keep myself alive for my kid um, when breastfeeding was such an important thing to me. And it was like a really, that was like a really devastating time for me. I remember initially, because I had found out that my my cancer had like the pathology wasn't great before I gave birth, but I hadn't really told anybody Mm -hmm. because I didn't want, like I wanted us to just be able to look forward to the birth of my baby. And I didn't want that kind of heaviness cloud over my head. And I remember, you know, just being so committed to her postpartum and wanting to breastfeed her for as long as I could. And then also not also knowing that, it's important for her to have me for as long as she can and trying to make the right decisions about having her keep me. <laughs> and it was such like making that choice to quit breastfeeding um, was really, really challenging. Mm-hmm. And one of my midwife friends who, whose birth I had attended a few years previous or the year before texted with me and said, 
just like you can do hard things and it just like made me cry having it said back to me yeah and the day that I had my less breastfeed and went for chemotherapy and I was really in like this really deep grief process of um having to give up something that I really wanted to do and was so important to me and that I was working so hard on and I had like the kind of rational grief around it and then also the hormone crash that comes with suddenly stopping breastfeeding and all of that and I took out a piece of paper and wrote on it in like big orange letters I can do hard things and I taped it up at like the foot of my bed where I could look at it every day that when those like waves of grief came that again like are important to let yourself feel I could just tell myself like yep this sucks and I can do it and me and Kadra can do it together like we can do hard things together and I still have the sign up and now she notices it sometimes (laughs) and she plays with it and it's getting all wrinkled and the other day I was thinking like I should just frame that and put it up somewhere and I had this like kind of funny thought of being like maybe I should trim off that we can do it together thing in case that's like (laughs) triggering for her later (laughs) but then I also realized like you know I know and I hope she knows that even if I'm not here with her, like physically, that she has me with her and believing in her that she can do hard things no matter what. And even if I'm not here with her, we can do hard things together. That's beautiful. I don't think that there's much more that we can say after. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I also, I really think there's something about like a distinction to being made between like sitting with someone while they're going through something hard and believing in their strength when they forget about it and seeing that there's a way out when they can't, like seeing that there's, you know, there's light available to them that they maybe can't see yet and believing in their ability to get through this hard thing and the kind of strength that people can draw from your belief in them there's a difference between that and constantly trying to solve the problem for it which can you know sometimes surprisingly be really really counterproductive like trying to convince them that it's not so bad or convince them that they don't have to do it or you know, like this, this kind of the difference between like standing with strongly and kind of lending someone your belief in them and trying to rescue them from it is, I think, a really important distinction in birth and in and in life when when supporting anyone through any any kind of challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's this difference between like sometimes sometimes our again, a way that that can play out um, in a different way where like we're trying to rescue, but in a different way is to convince somebody that something's not true or convince somebody that it's not that bad or convince somebody um, that it's easier than they think when that's also not true. (laughs) No, exactly. Like it's like things are allowed to be hard and things are allowed 
to be difficult. And it's sometimes when we're trying to talk people out of saying like, it's not that bad. Um, what actually happens is people feel like you don't understand what they're going through and it actually makes it worse. Like you almost have to dig yourself deeper into how hard it is because the person isn't hearing you. Um, whereas if you just can acknowledge like, yeah, this is like a, this is what you're doing is a really big or really intense or this is a really like challenging experience. And I can see that you're doing it. It's like a different thing than saying like, well, like look on the bright side, <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that leads nicely uh, into don't go. Oh, sorry. Did you want to say something first? Well, I was just, I was thinking about, there's just this memory of a, a really fun birth I went to popped into mind where the person was really, she was planning a home birth and she really seemed to not love dilating. Like she was not pleased with the whole scene. And, you know, there was a lot of protesting and a lot of like, I cannot do this. At one point she was like, guys, I'm calling 911. Like this is horrible. <laughs> And um, I was sitting with her and her mother was sitting with her and we just kind of sat with her and said, you know, you get to have your baby however you want to have your baby and we're here with you and you're doing it and you're strong. And so we weren't saying like, you're not allowed to go to the hospital. We weren't saying you're not allowed to change your plan. We're saying you can do this however we want and we can see you're doing it and we're here with you. And at the end of her birth, she said, oh man, like just this is why I invited you because I knew I was going to be like that during my birth <laughs> and I knew you were the only one that would just let me do it and not drag me to the hospital. Yeah. And whenever I tell that story, I always say like, well, it would have been nice for you to tell me that you were you, that you, you knew you're going to be like that. It was like pretty intense sitting with you, like threatening to, threatening to call 911 for hours on end. <laughs> but I think, you know, when you, there's like, you know she but she didn't call 911 like she wasn't putting on her shoes and her coat and saying like get the car keys and take me to the hospital like you know she was really just saying like this is hard and I'm having a hard time and I don't like this but that didn't mean she wanted to do it a different way or wanted us to say yeah you're right you can't do it it is horrible like she just wanted to be allowed to say this is really it was like her way of coping like the only way of coping isn't to make it look good you know or whatever our vi vision of good is yeah absolutely we have I find that we have a hard time you know a lot of birth workers I think are pretty good at holding nuance uh, a lot of the time but I think in in just kind of our lar larger culture we have a hard time holding both holding two things that are seemingly opposite at the same time right so like we yeah. have a hard time holding somebody saying that they can't or they don't want to with also their ability to do that and the fact that they're strong and the fact that they're capable and the fact yeah. that they are doing it and that we can we can hold two things at once, even when they seem like they might be in direct opposition and they aren't always. In fact, most of the time they're not. Totally. And that like, you know, there's a strength in allowing yourself to just express what you're feeling as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and and having people around you that you can trust that you can do that expression around without them thinking it means that you want to do something a different way, even if what you're, the way you're doing it is hard in the moment. 
And I often think about this, like, this is how I am when I'm doing any kind of outdoor activity with Gary. Like we go like mountain biking sometimes and we're not hardcore mountain bikers or anything. So don't make us cooler in your mind than we are, but (laughs) we like, (laughs) we like to, we like to bike together and we often do it outside in nature and we're going up like a hard hill or whatever. Like he'll be ahead and he'll be going and I'll be like, Oh no, like I cannot do this. Like Gary, this is not like, this is way above my skill level. (laughs) And he'll be like, yeah, you can do it. Like you're strong. And I'll be like, and for like a few minutes I'll be going along and I'll just be like so mad at him. Like, no, like he's trying to force me to do something. I'm actually not capable of and I just kind of like protest and say like I can't we need to turn around like I can't do this one and he just kind of like ignores me until eventually I just like quiet down and start doing it and then eventually we like get going and eventually we get to the top and I'm like wow I'm amazing I can't believe we did that like let's do it again (laughs) and it's not like you know if every time we're at the bottom of the hill and I said like okay no this is too steep it's too steep I can't do it he like immediately was like okay like let's just turn around then like I would never get that satisfaction rush feeling that I get at the top yeah yeah and seeing see seeing I can't as part of the process instead of a diversion from the process right that I like saying I can't is integral to be able to keep going a lot of the time yes definitely yeah definitely it's like part of the it's 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 part of it it's part of it um okay birth and life and death are inseparable companions and releasing fear of when we get one step closer to releasing fear of all Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't even know where to start with that, with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, part of, I think, our culture's fear around birth comes from our, like, like, extreme fear of death, which, of course, in birth, you know, we want everyone to be alive, like, that's the the goal and the hope and it's kind of like this underlying terror that every single pregnancy isn't going to end in a good outcome like that's just not like a possible expectation like the vast 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 majority of them are and sometimes in life fluke things happen and that's always going to be the case no matter what we do even though it's is rare and should be rare and we want to keep it rare but it's like our, our extreme terror of death is even like a possibility makes us actually approach birth in a way that makes it more dangerous and less safe for everybody because we're so afraid to acknowledge like once in a while a fluke is going to happen that's totally out of anyone's control and our desperation to try to control the uncontrollable actually often makes us make things less safe and comforting and enjoyable and healthy for everybody mm-hmm. so it's like this counterintuitive this counterintuitive thing where our, our fear actually makes things worse when it comes to birth and if we can kind of get to a place of being like of course we want to set ourselves up for our best chance of like a healthy birth and a healthy outcome 
and find a way to say like at a certain point some things are out of our control and we're not going to focus so hard on those things that we ruin a perfectly healthy normal good birth like that's what you have to do to improve outcomes but it's an uncomfortable place to go yeah how do you how do you get there or how do you encourage other people to get there I think it has to do with letting you have to kind of accept that death is a part of life and not in a way where we're discounting that it can be sad or when it happens at it, you know, much too early in life that that's not a tragedy. Like, of course. And finding a distinction between what can we actually do anything about and what are we just desperately trying to control out of fear is really, really important. And I think like that, I think that distinction is like, you know, asking the question in any scenario is like, okay, is, is anything that I can do any kind of choice or intervention or approach? Is it actually setting me up for a chance of a better outcome or longer life or, healthy scenario or is this just humans being control freaks (laughs) and that that distinction is really important to make and sometimes it's hard to see and it's hard to get clarity around which of those you know which scenario is which but I do think we do well to take time to pause and ask that question like is is what I'm doing to try to control this Is there any reason for us to believe that it's giving us a chance of improving an outcome or is this just an act of an attempt to control? And when it's just an act of an attempt to control, often we're doing a lot more harm than good. Mm -hmm. And I I think just saying that thing to yourself of like, is this, you know, because you can't, sometimes doing something feels better than doing nothing. But it's not better if we're actually ma- doing something is making things worse. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, and it actually kind of relates at some point in my cancer treatment. I had my oncologist say that to me, um, which was, you know, something that I talk about with my birth clients all of the time. But at some point in my treatment, um, he was proposing that I take a break from the chemotherapy that I was on. And I was saying like, no way, like, it seems like it's working and the side effects that I'm having are tolerable. And I would like, let's just keep going. And he said, you know, I understand that. And like, sometimes doing something feels better than doing nothing. But at a certain point, like all we're doing is increasing your risk of really bad and damaging side effects without improving the chances of you having a good outcome or or a longer life Mm -hmm. and it was so it was like this weird alternate universe being the one in the chair having somebody say that to me because I've said that to so many people so many times of like you know like that's the question to ask when you're making a decision is like is this intervention or approach actually improving my chance of a good outcome or is it really just making us all feel like we're doing something um but setting us up for more risk and it was just like you know being the person in that chair having having 
uh, like a medical provider say it to me was this like very, <laughs> very, very surreal moment. Um, because we are, it's like kind of part of, you know, humans are doers and we have a hard time just being instead of doing. And we often get stuck in like this feeling of doing something feels better than doing nothing. And we, we, we are often get trapped there instead of looking like, okay, but is what we're doing actually doing more harm than good? Yeah. Yeah, we can, we can get very, um, Oh, hi. Did you bump your head? Little K break. Little K breaks trying to climb the couch and she's feeling a bit frustrated. <laughs> you know, I, hi, Kay. I once went to um, a talk with one of my favorite podcasters, uh, Hannah McGregor. And um, at the talk, there was a baby crying in the background. And I think the person's parent was apologetic or something and Hannah just said you know it's not a feminist event if there's not a baby crying or making noise somewhere in the background so (laughs) (laughs) so we welcome that's um welcome all the little k sounds (laughs) we welcome all the all all the all the little k sounds that's right she's just part of my life (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and I was just in terms of that whole you know doing something we're more comfortable doing something than we are with doing nothing um is that also just validating that doing nothing is also is also doing something right like that is a yeah like doing nothing it is it's doing and it's not it's not as passive of an act as we act like it is like sometimes like the biggest most productive and most helpful and most intentional thing to do is to just be with what is happening and not be just, you know, make doing, doing a little make work project that's complicating <laughs> everything. Like it takes something sometimes to do nothing and to just sit with and be with and let things be and accept, like embrace a lack of control. Um, you know, and there's so many examples of that in birth where it's like, you know, is are doing all these routine ultrasounds actually improving outcomes or are they just giving us a sense of control and actually making things more complicated is, you know, like what is like any, you know, there's any number of examples where we can think like it actually, it takes, sometimes it takes more to just be with what is and find an acceptance in the unpredictability of life as opposed to being like puttering around doing things for no reason. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that, um, I think that actually speaks to um, this lesson about don't go looking for all the hard things that might be stacked against you. That we are, you know, we're quite wired as human beings to like our brains look for the negative a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this lesson speaks to kind of maybe recognizing that and also working to change it or think differently about looking for all the negatives. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we... And again, it's not to say that's not the difference of... Sorry, it's just also not... I just want to like, you know, that doesn't mean that you totally ignore your body or signs when there are weird things happening. It just means like 
don't look so hard for them that we create them, create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So why don't we finish with a bath, some protein and hydration fix almost everything. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're a shower person, that works too. I threw I threw that in for you too because as you as you know I'm into I'm into the baths but I know you like to just sit in the shower. So. I felt very seen when I heard that part. Um, you know, sometimes in birth, I think like everyone gives like has their thing that they fix they think fixes all the problems and like in the medical world like the thing that they think fixes all the problems is inducing or augmenting a birth with oxytocin and giving someone an epidural like that's the tool they have so that's what they use to fix everything if you're an acupuncturist like an acupuncture is the tool you have so that's the thing that you think fixes everything and for me the thing that I think fixes everything is you have a bath you have some protein and you get through the, the next phase. Like they're all like all of these things, like sometimes are specifically appropriate. And sometimes it's like the symbol of like, this is the thing that we have that can help. And it's not necessarily like um, anything more or less than that. And, you know, sometimes you just need to be in some warm water, have some protein for energy and make sure you're well hydrated and and like whether that's in a long birth or you're having a hard day or you haven't slept, you know, it's like get into some warm water, have some protein and just drink a bunch of water. And the whole world will probably look a lot different after you do after you do that combination of things. Totally. And even for for birth workers, you know, I, I know that in your in your uh both in your birth worker training and in your prenatal classes that you remind support people too, that, you know, it's not, it's not just important for the birthing person to do these things. It's important for you to do these things too, because I think your exact words are, there's nothing, there's nothing worse at a birth than a tired, a tired support person with low blood sugar. (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, People go to the hospital and get epidurals for their partners or for their doulas or for their midwives all the time because, like, the people around them aren't sleeping or eating or hydrating or going home to take a shower. And so they stop coping and they so then the whole world starts to look like this whole different horrible gray color. And then they start hallucinating that the person having the baby isn't coping. And then they start saying things like, you must be so tired or this has been going on for so long or, you know, like saying these like really insidious comments that make the person start to think that they're not coping. And then they stop coping because the people around them stop believing in them because they weren't <laughs> coping themselves. And it's like, it like you, like it happens all the time. Yeah. And so like, you know, and not just in birth, but also in life. Like if you're supporting somebody postpartum or you're supporting somebody while they're dying or you're supporting somebody going through like, grief or challenge or a hard thing it's like you know maybe we need to run them a bath and get them some protein and make them some tea or maybe we need to go get some good food and have a shower and have a good meal so that we can see them for the strong and capable person they are that's capable of getting through this hard thing instead of like dragging them down with us because we aren't coping I feel like there's something that you 
you had shared previously about you and Gloria going to births and if one of you thought that something needed to change or something wasn't going well that the other told that person to go go lay down <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. when we'd go to birth together it's like our rule was kind of like we, we neither one of us was ever awake at the same time unless the baby was coming and like when you start hallucinating that the person can't do it or they might need an epidural you might need to take them to the hospital like that means you need a nap and you need to like go wake the other person up <laughs> they can come sit for a while and see with like their well-rested well-fed eyes that everything is okay and you can go to sleep yeah. because like you know, so often it's like our own mind, like we paint the world with our own mind and project our own feelings onto the person in front of us and then really can kind of derail the person's experience because of ourselves. And this is why community support in birth is important. We all we all need somebody to draw us a bath and give us some protein and make sure we're hydrating. <laughs> absolutely absolutely Absolutely. so Kedra if you're ever having a hard day you have some protein (laughs) and you run a bath and you drink a bunch of water and then you see what the world looks like after that (laughs) perfect I think think she's saying okay I don't want to put words in her mouth but I think she's in agreement agreement. she sounds sounds on board Okay. All right. Well, on that note, she's trying to eat my face, so I better let you go for the day. (laughs) I'm Jessica, and talking with me today was Talia Kleinplatz of Common Heart Photography. You can find me on Instagram at Jessica Austin Childbirth, where I provide lots of free education on birth and related insights, and where you can learn about my doula training and prenatal classes. If you benefit from the education I provide and wish to make a contribution to my projects for my daughter, you can find my fundraising campaign in the link in my Instagram bio. No pressure though, it's just there because folks ask for it. I'll finish with my favorite poem, The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. So rest in the grace of the world, people, and be free. See you next time.